Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. Verse 31, I'm going to read to verses 35, starting verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him and said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and who are my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. So I'm going to invite Billy up to give us the word today. I'll pray for him. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you um, for this week and this season that we are about to come into in Advent week, just where we can pause and remember that you sent your son to save us. You sent him so low from his heavenly, heavenly authority to save us. Thank you, Lord, that we get to sit in that that we have so much to be thankful for, that we can eat turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes and so much gravy (laughs) and just revel in your goodness. Father, I do ask that you keep us safe, that you keep us healthy, Lord, that we would have wisdom and that um, you would be glorified. Speak through Billy now. Open our hearts and minds. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. I think Hannah is particularly excited about Thanksgiving this year because she uh, is pregnant and is in love with gravy. Literally yesterday we were driving home and she's like, did you just say something about gravy? And I said, no. She's like, oh, I was just thinking about gravy. I was like, okay, babe. No, you said the word Okay. That's real. That's a real thing that happened. So speaking of Hannah, when I first started dating Hannah, I knew she had a big family, right? But I did not realize how close her family was until we got married and how big a deal get-togethers were, get-togethers like Thanksgiving, right? We would get together at one of her aunts or uncles' houses, and we would just be packed in there. I mean, like 25, 30 people. There's one cousin, and you guys get the picture, right? You've had your family gatherings where there's one cousin with his face kind of buried in his phone. There are two uncles engaging in a deeply political debate. Football is blaring on the TV, which is kind of where I usually found myself in between Hannah's uncles. But perhaps the most unique thing, because this is a particularly unique thing to Hannah's family, is that they would do a cakewalk. That's right, a cakewalk, right? The same thing that you see at your local senior center. That's what Hannah's family does when they get together, a cakewalk. So if you're, if you're not a familiar with a cakewalk, right, if you're, if you're not one of Hannah's relatives, here's how it works. Okay, so think of musical chairs, but instead of chairs, you've got a circle of numbers, all right? And music plays, everyone walks, and then when the music stops, depending on what number you're on, right, they're going to call a number, and if you're on that number, you get that cake, so that's the way it works. Now, it's silly, right? And I, I joke about this, but man, we got some really good desserts out of that. And it was a lot of fun, and it was really silly. But it was something we loved, right? We, we looked forward to doing that every year. Now, again, we all might have our own traditions, the things that we love to do. Maybe it's either a joy, a delight, or drudgery, depending on your circumstances. But As we get together, it's a fun and enjoyable time. It might be quirky, it might be weird, but it's family and we love them. 
But sometimes, right, family doesn't feel like a cakewalk. Maybe this year, in particular, in 2020, it's very tough because as you're trying to adapt your plans maybe to accommodate this difficult pandemic, maybe there's tension in your family, right? Maybe there's been some debating lately. And today, that's what we see in our text, just that, tension in the family, right? We're finally looking at Jesus's family, Now, Mark, unlike other Gospels like Matthew and Luke, it doesn't include a birth narrative. And so Mark just dives right into the ministry of Jesus. And it's not here until here at the end of chapter 3 that we see Jesus' family. Now, we got to remember the context, right? Way back up in verse 21, it says, And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. Right? They think Jesus is way off base here. Jesus needs to be confronted. And, and Jesus kind of needs to stop upsetting people. Right, Jen just talked about that. And this is really interesting because the first time we see Jesus's kind of uh, his nuclear family in the Gospel of Mark, we see this conflict between this family. Today, we're going to see a lot about family, right? We're going to consider our own blood, our own immediate families, but we're also going to see a new family. And here's what I want us to see this morning. You have been called into a new family. You have been called into a new family. So with this idea in mind, let's dive right into the passage and see first, blood family divided. So verse 31, and his mother's, And his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. So Jesus is again, he's teaching, and and there's again a large crowd that's gathered around him in Capernaum, his kind of home base, and he is blessing, serving, he's, he's casting out demons, he's healing the sick, he is proclaiming the kingdom of God. And now his family comes and it's intervention time. Hey, Jesus, we need to talk. It's getting weird what you're doing. Now, it's important to note here that Mary believes in Jesus. How do we know this? Well, we have a bunch of evidence, right? Every little bit of evidence we have of her is that she believes deeply in Jesus, that he is the Messiah, right? I don't think she has forgotten that she was a virgin when she conceived him. In fact, when we look back, we see in Luke, she sings the the Magnificat, which is this beautiful song of worship for having Jesus. Or if we look at the Gospel of John, we see that she's the one who encourages Jesus to perform his first miracle. And the same is true of Joseph, who after being visited by the angel of the Lord, he obeys and he names this baby boy Jesus. So how did we get here? Where all of a sudden, again, if we look at verse 21, when it says that they're trying to get Jesus, they're trying to seize him, that's the same verbiage as arrest, right? They're trying to get Jesus out of there. So how did we get here? Well, scholars tend to agree that Joseph has passed away, right? That seems to be why he's no longer mentioned in the biblical text up to a certain point. Instead, it's just kind of mentioned as a memory, They agree that Jesus is out doing his ministry, and so Jesus' brothers are now caring for Mary, their mother. And so they, unlike Mary, Jesus' brothers, do not believe, 
right? In John chapter 7, as Jesus is on his way to the Feast of Booths, we get this nugget in John 7 verse 5. For even his brothers believed in him. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Which I think we can understand, right? I don't know if you guys have older siblings, but I don't think I would want to worship my older brother, all right? That's not something I want to do, and I get that. There's got to be this tension here between Jesus and his brother, and we see later that after Jesus' resurrection, James and Jude are not only leaders in the early church, but they're writing Bible. So there's going to be a shift that happens, but in this moment, they don't believe. And in this moment, the family is divided. And this is probably true of your family as well as it is mine, right? We have believers and unbelievers. Some of the greatest tension that you or I will ever face in our faith is within our own families. And the call is for you and I to love, to pursue, to hope in our family that yes, they would be like James, they would be like Jude, that they would believe in Jesus. But friends, this is hard. This is difficult. For some of us, there is this mounting pressure on us because of our faith, right? Maybe you're in a situation where you're the only person in your family that claims Christ. Even, right, if our family is opposed to Jesus, the call is for you, the call is for I and for me to hold fast to Christ. This morning, if you're discouraged because of the tension in your family, if you're concerned because your family seems very divided, I want you to know that you're not alone. Jesus' family also has tension, and he's the perfect son of God. So it's not that it's your fault or you brought this tension. We live in a broken, fallen world in desperate need of grace. So we see first a family divided, but the the next thing we see second is a new family declared. Look down at verse 33 with me. In verse 33, and he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Jesus hears that his family's looking for him, and he declares a new family. And he gestures at those around him. Now, who do we know from Mark's gospel, those who love Jesus, that love to be around him? again, tax collectors, sinners, those who were oppressed, those who had physical maladies, those who were ill. Surrounding Jesus is a ragtag group of broken people, and Jesus, Jesus has the authority to declare a new family. He looks to these people and he says, these, these are my mother and brother's. He declares and calls into existence the new family, the family of faith. This Coram Deo, this is the church of Jesus Christ, the family of faith. And this is an incredibly beautiful picture. Since we, we started this church, right? Since we, we kind of, we, we planned, we prayed for, for five years about moving to North Carolina, me coming back home to Burke County, what was it going to look like to start this new church? We were wondering, hey, what are people going to be hungry for? What are people going to be asking us about? And the number one thing, right? Every card we've ever had that's been filled out, every email we've ever gotten, every conversation we've ever had, the number one thing that people say for the reason they checked us out is this community. Community. You know Why? Because of this statement right here. 
When we encounter Christ, there is this profound shift in our hearts that we can love others because we have been loved first by Christ. There is this beautiful reality where we can go anywhere in the world and we can encounter another believer and share in common joy with someone as family because we have Jesus Christ in common. So I think back to last July, Hannah and I went to a conference, right? The Church Planning Network we're a part of, Acts 39, had this big global gathering and we went. And while we were there, my brother, some of you guys may or may not know this, serves as a missionary in Japan. And some of the people that were on his team just happened to be there. And so they said, hey, it'd be fun to meet you guys since, you know, you're Drew's brother. And we got together with these people we've never met before that we could barely, like we barely remember their names And we sat around a table and we just laughed and talked and we shared stories and vision. We talked about our churches and what God had been doing. And we talked as if we had known each other for years. Why? Because we have Christ in common. And many of you guys have experienced the same thing, right? We we invited the Wilcoxes up this morning and talking to them over the last several months, hearing their stories of Guatemala And the commonality that they had with those that they lived life with and shared life with and did ministry with. They were brothers and sisters in the truest sense. If you haven't experienced this, this kind of global connection we have in the body of Christ, it's our hope that, you know, again, in the future as the pandemic wanes, that we are going to actively pursue global missions together and that you could experience that. But here's what I want you to capture this morning. When you and I come to Christ, there is an existential shift in our lives that we now have a greater capacity to love people. Catch this, to love people who are vastly different than us. We talked about this just a few weeks ago as we looked at this group of disciples that seek to follow after Jesus, how you have a tax collector and you have a zealot who come together under the banner of Christ. People who have no business hanging out together, who have no business being friends together, who have nothing in common but Christ, can come together and love one another, serve one another, and have joy together. Right, we have a whole new category for love that we did not have before we came to Christ. When we are saved by Christ, we experience such a radical change that we can look at somebody, somebody that we're not biologically related to, somebody that's not in our family at all, someone we didn't grow up with, someone who doesn't even look or like the same things we like and say, that's my brother, that's my sister, that's my family. You see, we see everything differently. We are brought together in a new family, the church of the living God. And some of you guys have longed for this and you've yet to experience this. Now, now let me say this. This, this is not demeaning the importance of our immediate families. Not at all. Right? This, this, this connotates the appearance of a new family, the church, which finally brings us to Jesus' main emphasis in verse 35. He says, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And so we see thirdly, thirdly, true family defined. True family defined. Jesus spells it out plainly, right? Your brother, your sisters, your mother, your family are those who are related to you by virtue of knowing Christ as you know him. Think of it this way, right? Like kind of the hub and spokes analogy. You think of a bicycle wheel, the hub, with spokes coming out. 
You are related to every person in this geometric shape because you are related to the one in the center. When Jesus says, does the will of God, what he's not pointing to is our works righteousness, right? Like we're a boy or girl scout trying to earn merit badges for our sash. What he's trying to point us to is we are those who have been redeemed. We are those who are part of the new kingdom. We are those who are transformed by the gospel. This isn't a sentimental statement by Jesus, right? He's not just saying humanity is one, right? Yes, we're all uh, created in the image of God. We bear the Imago Dei, but that's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is drawing a hard and fast line. In John 8, he says there are children of God and there are children of the devil. He's pointing us to the reality that we are called together into the family of God. Now, we've all heard the statement, right? Blood is thicker than water. I think we've all heard that. What does that mean? It's like kind of when my brothers used to pick on me and, you know, sit on me and do all kinds of goofy stuff. And then someone would make fun of me. They'd say, hey, whoa, 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 I can make fun of him, but you can't. That's my little brother, right? Blood is thicker than water. And there's a richness to our family ties. We love our families. But as we think of that statement, right, that we, that we just, like, that blood is thicker than water. Here's what I want you to hear. The blood of Christ is thicker than blood. The blood of Christ is thicker than blood. There is a deeper kinship than flesh and blood. There is a spiritual kinship that is characterized by obedience to the Father. Now listen, this was an incredibly hard statement. When Jesus said this, everyone who heard it, their mouths dropped. We, again, we lose some of the scandal of what happens in the Gospels because we're so familiar with it. Again, when, when, when we were looking at this culture, family is everything. You, you, when, okay, for example, right? You guys know the famous movie Titanic. It's a movie that for some reason my wife will watch like once a year and be tortured by. I'm like, why do you do this? Okay, so we watch this movie and we see it and we're like, oh, Rose, she's a hero. She forsakes her family and goes after her one true love. Now, we watch that with Western eyes, right? That's our Disney kind of like the way that we, you know, just follow your heart. Eastern cultures hate that movie. It, it just bombs because they see Rose betraying her family to make her own choices for herself. That is the culture in which Jesus is in, in which you do everything for the good of your family. And so for Jesus to say, this is my family, was a hugely controversial statement. Now, I think we, we've lost some of that. When I moved and lived in the Midwest for over a decade, I, I didn't see that as permeating. But moving back to the South, I've seen a lurking danger. Let me tell you what I mean here. We make family everything. What do I mean by that? I mean that we have made our immediate families, our blood families, everything. That every moment of every day, every involvement, every commitment, Every engagement is measured and judged by the question, how is this going to benefit my family? Now listen, that's good. That's generally commendable, but we have to be careful because this can degenerate into kind of a familial narcissism where the four walls of the home become a temple and only within and for those walls are any sacrifices made. Well, we can't do that for the people of God or we don't want to stretch ourselves too far because we just want to have our little kind of safe space. And we are in danger. Why? Because we can commit what some call 
domestic idolatry. You like that? Domestic idolatry. What does that mean? Well, it means we idolize our families often to the downfall of our blood of Christ family. And actually, often to the downfall of our own families. This is an immense tragedy. And let me explain. The tragedy is this, right? Every earthly loyalty, if it's made central, becomes idolatry. Should you work diligently at your job? Yes. Should you seek to honor God in the way that you work? Yes. But if you make your job everything and you become a workaholic and you deny your family and you're never committed to the church, well, it's an idol. We all see that clearly. But we do the same thing with our families. Listen, all idolatries eventually destroy those who worship them. You see, in an attempt to avoid the brokenness of the world, many of us, we become possessive of our kids. We allow their schedules, their pursuits to dictate our lives and our commitment to the family of God. And Jesus warns about this. He says in Matthew 10, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And we often, when we hear that from Matthew 10, 37, we're like, well, surely Jesus didn't mean it like that. But how can we love our families well, right? How can we, what can we do to preserve and to elevate our families? How can we lead our families well? Well, the answer begins with the family putting love and obedience to Jesus Christ above everything else. So what does that mean? Well, for example, none of us can love our spouses as they ought to be loved. Only Jesus can do that. However, right, 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. So we are able to love Jesus and others as we respond to his love, right? Many of us need to be better lovers, better spouses, better friends. But being a better lover, being a better friend begins for the believer by loving Jesus first. Christ must be first. Listen, the same is true of our kids. Making our kids everything, allowing them to dictate our lives and kind of putting them up on a pedestal and and hoping and dreaming and living vicariously through them, that's very dangerous and very scary. We're not going to be able to love them as we ought or make it possible for them to love us as they should. We must love and obey God first. Anything less than that is idolatry. Our children must also love and obey God. We need to examine what are we teaching our kids? What does our family say if we constantly deny the family of God because we have so idolized our families that we've denied the call of the gospel? Y'all, this is a hard word. I'm like, Lord, you want me to preach this passage the week of Thanksgiving? If we want to love our families well, the best thing we could possibly do for our families is to bring them first to Jesus. What does it say to our kids when we say, yeah, we're, you know, we're not going to do that thing. We're not going to go and like serve and love our neighbors because you know, we just, we, we've got soccer tonight or we don't really want to get connected to, to, to the church. We don't really want to get involved with community because you know, we've just got so much on our schedule. We've got so many different things going on. It's just really hard to fit in. And I know that's a heavy weighty thing for us to process. I'm not saying that sports are bad, extracurricular activities are bad, or that I want your kids to fail in school. I'm not saying any of that. If that's what you're hearing, you're missing the point. The call is this. Jesus has declared a new family. He lays before us his church. And let me tell you, the church is not perfect. 
right? If you come to Quorum Dea thinking like, I found it, guess what? We're a bunch of broken sinners just like every other church on the planet. The church isn't perfect because it's made of broken people. Friends, we're in a pivotal moment in our lives. We're in a pivotal moment in our history. Not long from now, this pandemic will be in the rearview window of history. What then will we say of the church? It's going to be incredibly easy for us to shift back into routines. It's going to be easy to shift back into numbness. My prayer is this, that the isolation of 2020, right, the hardships, the digital meetings, the frustrations, it would lead us to a place where we long to be with the people of God. That we would get to a place where, yes, 2020 has maybe put you in a position where there are some times where you're like, I love my kids. And Billy, I hear what you're saying. And if you want to take my kids for a couple days, that would be awesome, right? We've, we've been a lot on top of each other with our immediate families. My prayer is that it would grow a deeper love in your heart for your kids, for your spouses, for those that you love, and that you would want to love and lead your family well. That we would be more invested in caring for God's work in and through us, in his community, and doing what he's called us to do. Friend, would you see the identity that Jesus is calling you to? That in his death, Jesus took on your baggage, paying for your sins by his blood. That Jesus Christ rose again from the grave, securing your eternity and adopting you in his family. You are not alone, right? There are no only childs in the body of Christ. If you haven't gotten plugged into a church, man, can I just encourage you to do that? Right, right now, we're, we have to make a concentrated effort to do that. Why? Because everything is improvised. We're constantly pivoting and trying to plan. It's getting colder. It's, this, this, you know, the virus has not gone away. It's still here. It's still prevalent. We're trying to figure it out. Lately, I feel like all of my meetings have been on Zoom or around a campfire because we're just trying to adapt and fight to keep people safe. But here's the thing. Community, the family of God, is worth it. These are strange times. The world has convinced us that we can do fine on our own, right? It's just me and Jesus. In fact, it preaches independence as a virtue. Right now, as believers in Christ, we acknowledge our dependency to some degree, right? We recognize that we are hopelessly lost in our sin and that we must depend on Jesus to save us, but we frequently fail to recognize how much we need the church, how much we need each other. Scripture never makes that mistake. In fact, most of the notable passages that we, we see clearly inform us of our need for others, right? If we take, it, for example, the Great Commission. Jesus said that the greatest commandment of all is that, we, or the greatest, the Great Commandment, not the Great Commission. He said the greatest commandment for all of us is that we are to love God, but the second is that we are to love others. Think that through. Closely following your need for God is your need for other believers, not understanding this profound connection between the vertical and the horizontal, it weakens the fabric of our faith. If you're trying to live the Christian life apart from a community of believers, man, I, I challenge you, get connected to a local church where you can be fed, where you can be encouraged, but also where you can serve others. And whether that's here at Coram Deo or elsewhere, man, I would just plead with you, please get connected to a local church. There are these incredible friendships that are formed as Christians toil side by side for the kingdom. And if you're already connected to the community here, notice people who might not be so blessed with that experience. Look for ways to make them feel included 
supported, and encouraged. Solo Christianity, it's unbiblical, it's illogical. But community Christianity, it's biblical and it's powerful. Let's pray together. God, we're so grateful for the hope of the gospel. We're grateful, Lord, that you call us to, yes, love our immediate families, to love them, to to bless them, to serve them, to care for them. But in so doing, God, that we do so by loving you more, by pursuing you first. That as we love you, Lord, as we seek to uh, live our lives in obedience, trusting, obeying, and following after you, God, that you so radically transform our families, that you bring our families together under the banner of Christ, and that you call us together as one new family, the church, the family of faith. Would we be a people, Lord, who believe that truth, who walk according to that truth and who rest and who trust in you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.